Welcome to episode 390 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I talk about the inner workings of the entertainment industry with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond. First of all, I do want to apologize uh, to everyone who's listening to this uh, the day it drops. I know the show is coming out a few days late. If you've been uh, following me on social media, you know that um, I've been having some pretty um, significant health issues um, over the last several days. Um, It started with just a simple toothache that I had late Thursday and turned into um, a pretty bad infection that um, has been really kind of hindering me over the last few days. I've been, you know, missing work at my day job and really haven't been in the right mindset or really physically felt like I've been able to do anything. Those of you who have had severe toothaches, you know that uh, they can be pretty crippling. So um, I do apologize for that, but this episode will be worth the wait because as I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, you get these conversations that you never really expect to have. And this is one because those that do interview based shows is really a crapshoot as whether or not you're going to get guests or not. And this is one that out of the blue, I was able to get and uh, it's with legendary actor, Bruce Davison and his career spans five decades Um, He's been in horror films. He's been in comedies. Uh, He actually uh, had a role with Lucille Ball in the film Mame, which was released back in the early 70s. More recent fans of film may recognize him as Senator Robert Kelly from the first two X-Men movies that were released in the early 2000s. And his most recent film, Suitable Flesh, which is a horror film uh, starring Heather Graham, was just released on Shudder this past week. So if you're a horror fan, you can definitely go check that out. But it was great to just, you know, sit back and listen to Bruce talk about his career and some of the names he worked with early on in his career, um, some of the biggest differences between the industry then as opposed to now. It's one of those that I didn't really have to say a lot. And I'm glad that I didn't have to because I became, you know, before I became a podcaster, I was a fan of podcasting and I felt like a fan of listening to, you know, a a notable person in their profession, just tell their story. And it was really, really cool. So I very much appreciate uh, Bruce for taking the time to be on the show. It was great. I learned a lot from this conversation and hopefully you do as well. So here is my conversation with Bruce Davison. Happy to be here with my very special guest this week, actor Bruce Davison. Bruce, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you today, sir? Doing good, doing good. I know we we briefly spoke um, yesterday and we've been communicating, you know, through email. And I've been really excited to to chat with you because I've ever since I was a kid, I've been like a film and TV nut. And especially with finding out, you know, how, like, how do you become an actor? You know, because I grew up in the 90s. So watching shows like, you know, Full House and others that, you know, like took place in California. And I was like, how does someone do that? And since I've started doing this podcast, I've gotten to know more about it. So I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, come on and, uh, and share some stories with me. 
Well, I guess the easiest way to start is back when I was uh, trying to get into uh, college and I wanted to be an art major. I had started art with something that I had found. I'd done some oil paintings and things and I wanted to get into that. And my parents were, my stepfather and my mother were adamant that I got a full rounded education. So I was sent off to Penn State. And uh, while I was there as a Bachelor of Arts degree, I took a, a, a theater appreciation course. And in that course, we were given little something to read, a little paragraph to memorize and read because the, the uh, teacher was, an, was a former actor and he was teaching us. And I got something from Arthur Miller and I remember this in the elective class and everything. I was taking all the other courses that I, you know, American literature and sunk in uh, Moby Dick and all. And um, I read this and I memorized it. And I know it to this day. And it changed. That was the moment that changed my life. It was from Arthur Miller. And he was writing and he said, uh, there is a certain, I may paraphrase it a bit, but there is a certain immortality that comes with acting, not through the awards or the books, but through the knowledge that an actor carries with him to his dying day that on a certain afternoon in a dusty and empty theater, he cast a shadow of a being that was not himself, but a distillation of everything he had ever seen or observed, all the unsingable heart song that the ordinary man may feel but never utter, he gives voice to, and in so doing, he somehow joins the ages. And I said, I want to do that. And That's I was, amazing. I was so lucky years later that I got to work with uh, Arthur Miller uh, on The Crucible, the film The Crucible. I was playing Reverend Paris and I was scared to death to meet him and talk to him because he sat back there like that, you know, and I thought he's watching me and it just really scared the hell out of me. And finally I passed him one day and he said, you know, that stuff you're doing with Paris, that's uh, good. There's stuff in there I hadn't thought about. And I said, well, thank you because you're why I'm here in this business. It was because of you. And he says, oh, yeah, I wrote that about uh, Lee. He says, that's in the essays. I'll send that to you. It was, uh, it was you know, um, Lee J. Cobb. And uh, we were putting together Death of a Salesman. And I was with uh, Ilya Kazan. And Mildred Dunnick was finding her part. And Arthur Kennedy was really bopping along. And Lee just sat there mumbling to himself like a lost walrus on a stool. And I said uh, to Kazan, should we get rid of him, get somebody new? He said, give him a chance. And then he said, one day he looked up at the ceiling and he started talking about a crack in the ceiling and there was no crack in the ceiling, but suddenly there he was. It was the greatest performance. You know, Willie Loman had been discovered and boom, one of the greatest performances of mid-century American theater. And so, uh, you know, that's how I got in. <laughs> now that That's amazing though, because, you know, a lot of people don't get to meet or work with 
their inspirations or the yeah. ones that ultimately got them. It, it was it was just great to do that. And I've I've had the opportunity a, a few times to work with people I had such great admiration of as icons. And you know, suddenly they're human beings with their own frailties and their own, you know, everything going on. And it's amazing. And I have gotten great advice from some of the those famous people. It, it's um, been amazing. And I actually wanted to ask you that because your career has spanned five decades and you've worked with you know, some of the greats, including um, Lucille Ball in the movie Mame, mm-hmm. um, which was, if I'm not mistaken, fairly early on in yeah. your career. So it was. I was still what, just a kid and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. The, the big mistake in my life was I got a lot of success when I was very young and didn't know what I was doing at all. And I made really stupid, you know, human mistakes at that time. So by the time I was 30, it was all going downhill and I had to recapture things. So I ended up being a character actor instead of this young, hot kid suddenly anymore because, uh, you know, the De Niro's and the Bill Hurts and everybody else were coming along. And um, so I did. I, I ended up playing supporting parts. But I remember with Lucy, it was great because when I first came to Hollywood, I had done a film called Last Summer and we came out to loop and I made I got to be friends with uh, Dino Martin and 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 her son, you know, and and the both of us would would be hanging out and. she says, uh, and when I met her, she says, well, Desi says you're a good actor. So I'm, uh, you know, you got this. And I said, okay. So we did it. And it was, Mame went on for months and months and months. And they spent months in the mud shooting the, the horse chases and everything. So the time, by the time it got to the older Patrick, I had been waiting around forever. And my first shot was coming in, walking up the stairs, looking at her and hugging her and, and Bo had just died, you know? And so I, I, I said, uh, I love you, Auntie Mame. And I hugged her and I walked away and the director said, okay, print. And she said, I didn't believe it. And I thought, oh man, here we go. This is going to be a ride. So I go back down the steps. I'm sitting there waiting for everybody to get ready again. Thank camera starts rolling. I come up the stairs. I look at her and I see her and I put my arms around her and I said, I love you, Auntie Mae. And I walked away and I heard she was wearing gloves and I heard her go. I knew you had it in you. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Lucy. Uh, She was was a five-year-old child and a 50-year-old truck driver combined with one person and she was and she built a she built hollywood she built desilu studios she built the uh, the form of comedy that we're still in today she created she was one of the great creators of this town and so. there hasn't been anyone like her you go back and watch i love lucy you watch some of her no. movies there's truly only one Lucille Ball like no yeah. one's really been able to you know, they they did the I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but they did the the biopic 
with um, yes. Nicole Kidman as yes. Well, as Nicole, Lucy. I got to say, I think Nicole did a brilliant she job. Did. She was wonderful because I knew Lucy and the hand gestures and everything that she got when she wasn't playing her character. You know, Nicole was on top of it. She was she was brilliant. It's one of the best performances I've seen. People don't realize certain times when something is really good or when you're playing a trick part and you get all the attention. I remember doing The Elephant Man on Broadway and everybody said, oh, God, he's so brilliant. Look, everybody else has all the lines. Everybody else feeds him. Oh, he suffered so. He's never seen a woman. He's If you could just shake his hand and say, it is a pleasure to make you acquainted. Here he comes now. You know, you don't even need to do anything. You're there. So that's kind of what is, I think, is a trick part. But there are other parts that are really, really difficult. And I would say playing Lucy in that film was one of them. She should have won for that. Oh, I totally agree. Because I remember when the that movie was announced and that, you know, she was going to play the part. Mm-hmm. And like, I got I had no doubt that she could do it because Nicole Kidman's a great actress. Mm-hmm. But to ca- try and capture someone who is iconic as yeah, not just Lucy the character, but Lucille Ball. Lucy the person. The person. Yes, the person. It, that's what I mean. That's 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 acting. Mm-hmm. That's great acting. Yeah. So it was a really really good movie. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, fast forwarding a, a little bit further into mm-hmm. to your career, you played the role of Senator Kelly in one of the most influential movies of my life, the original X Men movie. Oh. So wow. I I grew up, you know. Uh, a huge Marvel fan um, was introduced yeah. to the comic books and the younger audience that might be watching or listening to this, you mm-hmm. know, like Marvel movies come out like two or three a year now, but mm-hmm. back then nobody really made comic book movies outside of, you know, like the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies or the yeah. Michael Keaton Batmans. So right. what was it like for you being a part of that film? Well, first of all, I've got to give Brian credit for because he created everything. He was behind every shot. He was brilliant. And, you know, when he comes bouncing back, we're going to have a great filmmaker again from, uh, you know, the politics that he's involved in now. But um, Brad Renfro was a young boy that had just uh, done um, a movie, I think, with Susan Sarandon. And he was playing a lead in this other film that I had done with Joey Mazzello. And it was about two little boys who go down the Mississippi River, kind of Tom, uh, you know, Tom Sawyer kind of thing. But uh, I I came to that set and I was just in the last two weeks. I was, uh, the director was a friend of mine. I was playing the doctor and one of the boys dies and all of that. And I played Joey Mazzello's uh, father before. And, uh, I asked the driver on the way there, what, what's going on on the set? He says, well, this kid, this one kid, he's driving everybody crazy, stealing cars, and he's just got a grandmother watching to him. His parents are out of it. He's just he's just running away with this set. He's driving everybody crazy. So I came up, and it w- was Brad, and um, uh, and Joey came running up to me. He said, hey, how are you? So I gave him a big hug and Brad came up and he went, so who the, f-? and I got him in a headlock and I said, <laughs> listen, you little sucker. 
you think you're going to mess with me. I don't care. Nobody's going to fire me or get rid of. But if you cross me or if you give any trouble to anybody that I see, I'm going to pull your head off. You got it? And he went, I got a guitar. You want to see it? I said, yeah. He said, you play? I said, yeah, I play. Let me show you. So this was my relationship with Brad Renfro. When uh, Brian Singer's movie Apt Pupil came along with Ian McKellen, I was given a call saying Brad Renfro is starring in this movie. He wants you to play his father. So that's how I got connected to, to Ian and Brian Singer. And, and um, as I always do, as you're sitting around at lunch, you say to the director, okay, if something else comes up, give me a call, you know, we'll so that's what happened. I got a call, the first one, for uh, X-Men. I was cast before anybody. It was really amazing. Because you were the first person to be cast. Yeah, so I wow. hear. I don't know. Wow. You know always, uh, there's always stories afterwards. But so many people were unknown when that film started, too. We're just starting out. I mean, Halle, Halle Berry and... and, and um, um, everybody was just uh, just beginning. Well, what was great about that movie, too, is that, you know, the the X-Men were really popular from not just the comics, but there was a really successful animated series uh, yes. in, the, in the 90s. And mm -hmm. then bringing these characters into live action, especially because, you know, the X-Men, what's important about them is that they tell stories of those that, you know, like it's OK to be different or those that, you know, might look different or, you know, have different attributes than what we yeah. call normal People. And I, I, th I thought, you know, the, the cast and everything from the cast, of the script yeah. really captured that. Well, yes, there'd be lines like a mother saying to his son, have you ever tried not being a mutant? You know? And it was reflect. It was reflective of human nature more than it was about special effects. And there were a few wall climbings and. There were special effects in that, but what happened is then the genre eventually ran away and just blew everything up. Eventually there were characters just, you know, as special effects took over uh, the industry, just just became, you know, a, in my mind, kind of a trash heap of wrecking stuff. And the characters faded back into, you know, two, two dimensions. Well, and that, that's what I... I tell people, you know, like at their core, movies are about characters and stories. The mm -hmm. special effects are there to, they might be there to enhance something visually, but at your core, it's about the story. It's about yeah. the characters that you get yourself lost in. And that that's why I think movies and TV are the greatest art form there is. Yeah. And, but it's always like all art, you know, as things progress on and a new technique is developed, you've got a, you know, something that breaks the mold and then behind it follow uh, rows and rows of crappy perspective art pictures, you know, of that, their generation. But the great artists are the ones that break through and change and are able to uh, resonate in, in the human heart. Right. And that that's what the purpose of art is, in my opinion, whether it's paintings, whether it's sculptures or film and TV, it's what you feel here. Yes. Because of what comes from here. Yes. 
or as Oscar Wilde said, all art is useless. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another way to look at it too, oh, for yeah. sure. But um, also, you know, you're five decades later, you're still acting. You know, you've been in um, the 1923 show. Um, you've been in Ozark. Um, recently, um, you've got Suitable Flesh, which is a horror film um, starring Heather Graham. Which that, comes um, out today. I think mm -hmm. they shudder. Is yep. today today's the twenty sixth, right? Today's the twenty fifth. So oh, by, the, by the time tomorrow. people hear this, it'll it'll be yeah. out on Shutter, which yeah. is a great platform. Um, Maybe. you know, if you're if you're a horror fan. So well, it's wonderful. And I knew uh Barbara from <laughs> back in the beginning when we were all kids together, and before she did an a reanimator, and she uh, produced it, and that was I love doing independent films because you never know what it's going to be. You're going to be flying by the seat of your pants, but you have an ability to continue creative forces together with other people. And it's, it's more of an even base than something that's a big hit. That's a runaway or something that's, um, you know, got a lot of monies and, and, and you're involved in that you're just sort of another peg in the, in the wheel. Mm -hmm. another cog in the machine yeah yeah i yeah, remember my the boy that played my son in 1923 said well maybe those saved my life as i'm thrown over but i, I keep telling him i said you know we're serving the leading character we're serving the story you know it's not our story right <laughs> yeah no absolutely you made a great point about uh, independent film because you know i've gotten the chance to to work on some short films um mm -hmm. made locally i'm um, here where i live i've gotten to you know run sound i've get, even got to write and direct um a couple of shorts and mm -hmm. you hit the nail on the head that it, it's really you learn a lot about the creative process when you have a smaller crew who's there you know to like you said serve the story but you learn yes. so much. And, and well, everybody serves each other too. It's right. much more of a family than uh, a big runaway conglomerate, multi-billion dollar production, you know. There's Harrison Ford used to say that when he's working on a green screen, you sure I'm not talking to some, I'm not talking to myself. You're going to put little creatures in here or something. You know, it's not like that. So uh, that's more fun. There was a lot of green screen in X-Men though. We, I did that. Right. Yeah. So what what is it that that keeps you going as far as uh, as acting? You know, like you like you said, you've been acting for you know over 50 years now. What is it that keeps you motivated and keeps you doing it? Because if you look at your IMDb, you still have like you have credits from, you know, last year and you've got, I think, what, seven or eight that are in the works. So mm -hmm. what is it that keeps you going? Survival. I mean, it's basically about survival. First of all, you know, character actors don't make what everybody in Hollywood thinks actors make, you know. They're, you know, Tom Cruise and four or five others make all that money. Or the executives of the studio, you know, make $100 million a year. But uh, the, you know, the character actors, the supporting actors, you know, that's, that's, that's blue collar work. For most people, that's a lot. So I just have to keep going. You know, I don't know how to do anything else except during um, um, uh, COVID. I started painting again, and that's turned out to be a great thing. And that was something um, 
I noticed it. when I worked with Henry Fonda, I did the K-Mutiny Court Martial uh, a play, and Henry was directing Hank, as he likes people to call him. And he's a terrific artist, wonderful, detailed stuff. And uh, he asked me to show him some of the stuff I did from college. And I said, well, okay. And I brought it in. He said, this is good. Why'd you stop? And I said, well, I knew I could play Rembrandt, but I could never be a Rembrandt. And he said, well, that's what's wrong with your acting. Because it's not about the result. It's not about becoming Rembrandt. It's about doing the work, enjoying the journey. Learn how to do it and enjoy the learning while you're there. Be in the present. Don't keep thinking about golden statues and things because that's not what the joy of work is about. And that rekindled my thought during COVID and I started uh, started up again. So that was what kept me busy through that period of time. That and the strike coming on top of it. So it was one year on top of another when we were, you know, hung out to dry. But it, it, you did find, you know, I, I imagine it had to be another creative outlet, though it's not acting. But yeah. you mentioned, you know, originally wanting to to be a, an art major. Yeah. that that's, that's something that, you know, I'm envious of people that have yeah. the ability to to paint these beautiful paintings because I you know I took a couple of um, painting classes in college too. Mm -hmm. And while I don't I know I don't have the talent, but it's still like you mentioned, it's the creating, it's the journey it's the doing of that it. you're on. And, it's, and, and there are a lot of and with the internet, there are so many great teachers out there and you can learn from them. And I've been enjoying doing that. I've been copying a lot of teachers and stuff and this this guy i just knocked off to and but it's it's uh, there's wonderful things landscapes and seascapes and all those kind of things that always interested me when i was young um so yeah that's that's been fun and you hit the nail on the head too is that you know a lot of people not just in film and tv but any type of creative outlet they like they get into it to try to become a millionaire or a billionaire, but it's, it's not about that. It's about finding what you love. Yeah. And, and it, it won't feel like work if you truly love it. No, it's true. And I, I've, I've had so many ups and downs, you know, on a small independent film, I got nominated for an Academy award that was like 500 bucks a week to do. And we never thought it would get on the air it was longtime companion. And it was being, made for public television, which was real iffy about whether or not it would even play. And then, you know, it turned out to be what it was. And up at Sundance, they kind of went crazy over it. And Sam Goldwyn's company bought it. And, you know, I, I was on the merry-go-round for that year for a ride out of nowhere. You know, well, you know, I was upset because I missed out on some multi-million dollar thing where I could have played Donald Trump, but you know nobody saw that. So you never know how it's going to go or what's going to turn out. It's it's a, it's it's really a mistake to try to look to future success. Your future success is always in the moment that you're mm -hmm. living it. Yeah, if you look too far ahead, you won't see what's right in front of you. Right. No, you're absolutely right.
You mentioned earlier, you know, working with, you know, Lucille Ball and some of the other icons of, mm-hmm. of the industry that you mm-hmm. got some great advice. Yeah. What advice was that? <laughs> and do you still carry uh, it with you to this day? God, I, I well, the beginning of it all the my I, I started this book. I don't know. I got it. All I got is a title for the most part, but I'm being woken up in the middle of the night. I, and, and some kid is tagging on me saying, Bruce, we're ready. And I'm thinking, I don't know where I am. I get up and he's walking down the hall and he's here. Hey, what's your 24? I got the talent. I would get the escalator. And I realize it's four in the morning. I'm in the uh, L.A. airport. It's completely empty. And I'm going down to the, the stairways to the conveyor belt. And there is Barbara Rush putting, doing her own makeup. And I'm on this little independent film that she's doing. And she's getting all ready. And I turned to her. I said, Barbara, you ever get confused about what's real and what's not? And she said, oh, darling, it's only real when they say action. <laughs> <laughs> that's always that's it that's only real when they say action and and i there's so much truth to that because i mean moments that i have had in my own life uh, saying goodbye getting my mother to let go when she was dying then comes into longtime companion and it's you're playing it and it's as important because suddenly you're not in that bedroom alone by yourself you're sharing it with other people, and I've had more people come up to me and say, yeah, I was in that bedroom too. Um, I I know what it's like to have your loved one being told to let go. Mm-hmm. So you never know where those moments are gonna come from, but it's, it's the consummation of your life. And uh, I remember Bert Lancaster was <laughs> great. He said, cause kid, he said, kid, son, you, you waste all your energy on, uh, the long shots, you're performing for the man laying the marks, you perform for the, the the lighting guy, and then you're performing for the girl extras over there in the corner. Save it. Save it for your close-up. It's like making love to a woman or whoever you may make love to. I don't know. Don't <laughs> try to do it all at once. You need foreplay. And your foreplay is the long shots and the wide shots and the cowboy shots. Save it for the close-up. <laughs> so That's a great that, way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. Um, I, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you a couple more specifics on Suitable Flesh. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it's a horror film. And yes. like you said, it's an independent film. So can you talk a little more about, you know, the overall experience of well, what it's, like it, on that it's, film specifically? It's, it sort of harts back to those 80s Schlockfest films. And it's really a comment on them more than anything, but it's wonderful. And Joe Lynch was part of it all the way back then, and certainly Barbara Crampton. And uh, they created a great script, and it's really fun. Um, and it's built sort of similar to the way Terminator was and, and those other films. So a lot of people will remember the little Easter eggs that are all placed all through the film. But it's a, just a drop-dead, knockout, fun roller coaster horror film ride and uh you know i i started by being this evil essence that can escape into other bodies so what happens is all the other actors that go on i did everybody's lines and then they sort of memorize that 
cadence and that thing and that what I was trying to do. And they had to take that character. And then they played themselves and that as it flipped all over the place. And it's just one hell of a ride there. Everybody is brilliant in it. And uh, Heather Graham, she, she, she just knocks my socks off. It's the second film I've done with her, but she's really great in this. And so is Barbara. And so is all, all everybody. I've been the, everybody's good, John. And Joe Lynch just pulled it all together in such a framework that it, it's an homage and a, a fun ride all in the same time. And I think, and it's got like, what is it, 86 on Rotten Tomatoes, which has gotten more than I thought the best picture of the year, which was Origin, I didn't get. But uh, you never know what people are going to like or not. But this, I, I, I really smell, this is one that if it gets promoted right, people will love it. You definitely get a lot of promotion from me once uh, once it comes out. I'm I'm excited to right. watch it. I've seen the trailer and yeah. it look and it looks it looks great. It looks exactly like you described. It, it harkens back to those, you know, '80s yeah. horror films that have that element of of fun. And right. a lot of times, that's what you want from a yeah. film. Is like you you want that escapism. You know, yeah. you have something that's you know going on that's wrong in your life. You just watch a fun movie. For however right. long it is to escape it yeah and it's not going to take you to a dark place that's going to necessarily leave you there it's right. going to take you on a ride it's a ride you yeah know? yeah i'm i'm really excited to see it uh do you have any advice you would give um to an aspiring actor oh learn how to do the dog poo things in your life make sure you can pay for your house make sure you can pay for your food make sure you can take care of your family in any way whatever way you have to do in the meantime because you know it's like like i was saying it's like fishing you know sometimes there ain't going to be any fish and you better be able to survive through those times so my my advice is always have a backup plan, not one that takes away from your dream, but your acting and your, you know, the filmmaking is a dream and you can work hard, hard, hard on that, but make sure you can survive too in the meantime. Absolutely. Do you have a, a website or social media you'd like to plug so the viewers you know, can follow you? No, I I I, I get, get on the um, somebody set something up for me on Instagram and Facebook, and I I have that, but I I am really such an idiot. I'm like uh, Shakespeare says, a, a world grown too wide for his shrunk shank. And all this internet has really got me baffled. Anytime something goes wrong, I have to get my daughter and say, you know, she's 17. And I say, you know, get me out of this mess or how do I work Zoom? <laughs> yeah, make make this work. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. I mean, that I, I use the the socials mostly just to promote this or, you know, projects. Well, that it's, I the work on, it's, it's the center of PR now. It's the center it of the world for that. It mm -hmm. really is. But, uh, you know, after my time, all my time in it, you know, I've done a lot of PR and stuff through the times. But uh, I, I really don't know how to do it anymore. I've just gotten kind of lazier in my uh, <laughs> later years. Oh, it's all good. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat with me. This was great. Oh, thank you, Derek. It's been a pleasure.
Thank you again to Bruce Davison for that fantastic conversation. I could have talked with him for at least three more hours about his career. Be sure to check out his latest film, Suitable Flesh, which you can stream now on Shudder. For next week, there won't be an episode of the Derek Diamond Experience because I'm going to be traveling for work. And it's just, it's going to be tough to get an episode in. Um, I've got to work this weekend, actually. I'm still wrapping up some freelance projects, catching up on, you know, being sick over the last several days. So I will be taking next week off, but I, I will have a guest for the following week, which will be uh, February the 12th. So mark your calendars. That'll be when you get your next episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. But you have... 389 previous episodes to go check out and believe it or not in uh, just over a month we'll be celebrating 10 years of the Derek Diamond experience 10 year anniversary celebration will be held in March still working out the logistics and the details for that I've actually put out a couple of polls um, on my social media at D Diamond podcast on Facebook and Instagram so if you want to uh, let me know what you would like to see for the 10-year anniversary episode. I would very much appreciate that. But if you want to check out past episodes of the show, if you want to subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel, follow me on social media. Everything is in one convenient location, linktree.com slash Podcast. No more having to bounce around to different platforms. Everything is in one convenient location. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you once again to Bruce Davison. And we'll see you guys back here on February 12th for another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast.